So this morning we're looking at at 1 Samuel chapter 3, 1 through 21. 1 Samuel chapter 3. You'll find the words behind me. Uh, If you've got it with you, you can can follow along that way. It'll be on the screen in front of you if you're with us online. Uh, This is one of my favorite... This is one of my favorite stories. I don't know why. Um, stories of call uh, always get me, and this one especially. I have no idea why, but it, it, uh, I love it. So before we read it, let's pray together. Again, God, we are grateful that you meet us here in this place. And when we gather together around this book, around the scriptures, uh, somehow, some way, Spirit, you show up and and open our hearts and our minds and our ears, and somehow, um, somehow it's your your voice that, that we hear. We're not really quite sure how that works. Um, but we feel it and sense it. And so we ask for that again in humility, for, for your voice to be heard, for your call to be heard, for your prompting, your nudging. Surprise us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the calling of Samuel the prophet. So the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down, man. Get some sleep. It's the middle of the night. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli was like, Oh, I get what's going on now. Realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls you, say, Speak, Lord for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about 
His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered him, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And Eli said, He's the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. We will go that far. The calling of the mighty prophet Samuel. It's going to be weird hearing your name over and over and over and over and over again. Just, hey, I can't do anything about it. It's the way it is. Um, Samuel. The calling of the mighty prophet uh, Samuel. In the middle of the night, no less. Uh, Who's ready for a call in the middle of the night? Anybody ready for a call in the middle of the night? Like, if you think about it, and I, I didn't think about it until my kids were old enough to, like, spend the night at a friend's house. Then you start, start thinking about it. Like, I remember when Caleb first was, we let him go. I don't know if he was 9, 10, 11 years old or so. We let him spend the night at a friend's house. Uh, I remember the mom coming to pick him up and, and us, you know, saying, hey, buddy, love you. Have fun. Uh, you know, it's a family, good family, trusted family. You know, you're not, you're not that worried about things. And, and then during the rest of the sort of afternoon and into the evening, you think about him every once in a while, but you know he's safe. What are they doing? Are they playing games? You know, what kind of games are they playing? Is he being a good boy, trusting he's being a good boy? So you kind of think about him off and on, but you're not really worried. Uh, and then it comes time to go to sleep. And you're like, oh. And normally you have your phone on, like I have my phone on buzz, not vibrate, because I'm one of the cool kids, I say buzz. You don't have the phone on, but you know, you have the phone on buzz. But, but all of a sudden I realize I can't do that. Right? I have to keep my ringer on now because what if something happens? You never know what 9, 10, 11-year-old kids are up to in the middle of the night. What if they need to call? And then you sort of go to bed a little bit anxious because you're not really ready for a call in the middle of the night. And you know that if it does come, you're, su- you're going to be super groggy. Like you're not going to know which way is up, down, right, left, north, south, east, west. You're, you're so confused. You don't know what's going on because no one's ready for a call in the middle of the night. Well, it turns out in our story this morning, Samuel wasn't ready for his middle of the night call either. We have to assume that it has head was groggy, right? He didn't know up from down, right from left. In fact, it took him four calls to get it right that it was God calling. And even then, he had to have somebody else tell him who it was. That's one of the things that I love about this story, right? It's too honest to pretend that anyone is ready for a call in the middle 
of the night, even if it is God that's calling, and even if it's about something as important as national security, which this call in the middle of the night was all about. I love how ambiguous the call was. Like, there's no specifics there. I love how ambiguous and gray and weird it was. I love how frustrated Eli is, like, like he's a dad waking up in the middle of the night. He says, Samuel, just go back to bed. It's the middle of the night. Get some sleep. But the honesty, the honesty about this story, it's what I love about it the most. Because really, regardless of what time it is, the middle of the afternoon or in the wee hours of the morning, just before the lamp of God goes out in the temple, regardless of what time it is, who's ready for a call from God? Who's ready for a call from the divine? Seriously. If you pick up the Bible, here's my challenge for you. Pick up the Bible today. It's going to take you longer than today. But I want you to read through the Bible. I want you to to sort of comb through it, scour its pages, find me one person who was ready when God called, who was really, really ready. Abram and Sarai, you read that story in Genesis, they weren't ready. Moses and Aaron in Exodus, they weren't ready. In fact, Moses sort of argued with God about it. Like, nah, you don't want me. I can't talk in front of people. I'm not a public speaker. I mumble too much. I get my tongue all twisted up. Why are you calling me? That doesn't make any sense. Isaiah wasn't ready. Jeremiah wasn't ready. Jonah wasn't ready. You all know what Jonah did when God called Jonah? Took off, ran in the opposite direction, said, nah, not me. Then the whole whale deal happened. He didn't want to do that. It's a big fish. Technically, it's just a big fish. It's not a whale, but you hear Jonah and the whale and it anyway. So Jonah wasn't ready. It took, a, it took a long while for Esther to get ready. And if you read that story, you'll know why that's funny. There's a joke in there somewhere. Read that story and you'll think it's funny. Anyway, the disciples, some of them, some of them acted like they were ready. But if you read the stories about the disciples in the Bible, you'll soon figure out that they weren't even close to being ready. Paul, that dude had to be blinded to get him ready. God's like, oh, I really got to get this dude's attention. So took away his sight for a while before he was ready to answer the call. There's the, the only person, one, the only person, this is amazing, that I can find who seems to be even close to ready is a very young woman named Mary, who just happened to become the mother of a man we know as Jesus. The Christ. She's the only one, like a 14-year-old girl. She's the one. May it be to me, as you have said, she said. Oh, she was ready. The honesty. That's what I love about this story. How can you ever be ready for a God call? For the divine to show up and say, this is what you're about now. Who's ever ready for the divine to call? I'm guessing that if you look back on your life and you're honest about it, you weren't ready when God called you either. Maybe some of us are on on our first or second call, and it's going to take three or four more times for God to call before we might be ready, right? But eventually, eventually we answer, or eventually we try our best to answer. Have you tried lately? Have you tried lately? Have you tried listening? 
for the call of the divine, for God to call? Have you taken the time? Have you quieted yourself? Have you wondered? Have you prayed? Have you asked? Have you listened for God lately? Samuel heard and eventually answered God's call. And it was a good thing, too, because Israel really, really, really needed him at this point in history. Although Israel didn't know it at the time, it was about ready to begin a new era of existence. At the time, they were just sort of this this loose conglomeration of 12 tribes, and they were beginning to sort of coalesce and form themselves into this makeshift nation. Eventually, they would cry out to God and ask God for a king because they looked around at the world and they noticed that all the powerful nations in the world, well, they were led by a king. And they felt like if we just had a king, then we could finally be a a legitimate nation and other nations would see us as a legitimate nation. And maybe we could gain the opportunity to, to sort of have some real power and prestige in the world. Now, God made it absolutely clear that he didn't want them to have a king, that God was king. They didn't need a king, that if they got a king, that it wouldn't, that it wouldn't go very well. But the people, people kept whining about it. Give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. And finally, God was annoyed so much. He's like, fine, I'll get you a king. But eventually, but when God did give them a king, God made sure that God had someone on the inside, right? Someone to be God's voice, God's mouthpiece. And that person was Samuel. And with Samuel begins this long, and you could say heroic tradition of women and men called by God to be his mouthpiece in what would eventually become the kingdom of Israel. And because Samuel listened to God's call, he wound up changing the course of history for Israel. They became a kingdom. That can happen, you know. That can happen, you know. The course of history can be changed when people listen to God calling their name. Have you listened lately? The course of history can be changed when people live into the gifts that God has given them and into the passion that God has hidden in their hearts. While it's hard for any of us to ever really be ready for for a call from the divine, to hear God's voice, to understand God's promptings, when God does, we can be sure that God's timing is intentional and it's always right on time. It's always always perfect. Let me explain this a little bit more fully. Of course, there's a more immediate context. There's a bigger context that we just talked about a little bit ago than just a a God call in the middle of the night, right? Israel was about to be ready to enter into a new era of existence. They were a kingdom, and God needed a leader to help them make that transition. It was going to be a huge, difficult transition. The priest Eli, well, he was getting older, Right? probably wouldn't be around for very much longer, and he couldn't see very well, so he couldn't be the guy to help them transition. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were corrupt. They abused the priestly power. They abused the priestly role, so they couldn't help with this transition either. 
So the timing is right for a new prophet. And God called Samuel's name. No one knew it at the time, but the timing was intentional and right on time, absolutely perfect. And all of that reminds me of another time in the history of the people of God, somewhere around the the mid-15th century. Hang with me here. It'll make sense. A little church history for you. So it might be hard for us to imagine, but at the time, uh, the Pope was sort of the, the ultimate authority in the lives of Western people. The world ran on the principle that there was one Pope, one, and that he was directly chosen by God to sort of be the, the final decision maker, not only in religious matters, but also in political and social matters. Right? Think of it like this. For the people, the Pope was, was God's main representation on earth. To listen to and obey the Pope was to listen to and obey God. The problem was in the mid-15th century, well, all of a sudden you had three popes. Two Italian guys and a French guy all claiming to be the Pope. Right? And they fought about it. Oh, now we have a problem. You see the problem, right? You're only supposed to have one Pope. Now you have three Popes. Who do you trust? Which one do you listen to? Who's the real representation of God in the world and in the lives of people? With three popes, who has the authority? Where is it? Who has the authority to give guidance to the world? Well, in comes this guy named Martin Luther. Have you heard of him? God called Luther, and Luther answered. He introduced two key ideas that solved the problem. The first idea was sola scriptura, which is Latin for only scripture. You need authority in your life. You need guidance in your life. You don't need the Pope. All you need is the Bible. The second idea was the priesthood of all believers. You need direct access to God. You don't need a mediator called a priest or a Pope. No. Not only can you have direct access to God through prayer, through the Spirit, right? You got one another. You have each other. The Bible and the community of faith. There's your authority. There's the guidance in your life. Martin Luther showed up at just the right time. The Protestant Reformation was born and the course of history was changed forever. And now in our day, it's happening again. We're wondering things about the Bible and about the community of faith. We're asking different new questions because we live in a new and different age. We're asking, what is the Bible anyway? And how do we read it? Because we're recognizing that it isn't black and white. It's actually kind of gray. And we don't, we don't exactly agree on everything that it says and how to interpret it. And so now in our age, we're sort of seeing new people help us to look at Scripture and the community of faith with new eyes, with new ideas. And God is at it again, raising up people to help lead us through asking these questions, right? And the course of history is changing right now because of what's happening in the church. And another 500 years is probably going to happen Again, the timing of God is always intentional and it's perfect, always right on time. Here's another thing I think this story reveals about the call of the divine. And I really like this one. 
God's willing to work outside the normal power structures of the world to get done what God wants to get done. God will work outside the normal power structures of the world in order to get done what God wants to get done. The rightful successors to Eli were who? His sons, Hophni and Phinehas. But they were corrupt. So God's like, that's not going to work. So God goes outside the normal power structures and calls an unlikely one, calls an unimpressive one, calls a very young one. Can you hear it ring? And Samuel answers. That's perfect. Oh, I love it. You're... <laughs> Samuel would become Israel's first great prophet and anoint Israel's first king, King Saul. Part of what's going on here is God working outside the normal channels, right? working in a surprising way, a subversive way, a, an underneath-the-surface way. That reminds me of another important Martin Luther. Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King always found himself working outside the normal channels in order to get things done. Outside the channels of like the courts and lawmakers and even the church. In his letter from a Birmingham jail, which by the way, if you have not read that, you must read that. In his letter from a Birmingham jail, he condemns, calls out the local church pastors who are openly against his work of getting equal voting rights for minorities. He reminds them that Christians used to be called things like agitators, outside agitators, and, and uh, disturbers of the peace when they did things like cross barriers of gender, class, rich, poor, slave, and free. He has to go outside the normal channels. Has to call out the church because the church isn't doing what the church ought to do. And this story suggests that God tries the normal channels first. And if that doesn't work and the people still won't listen, God will call an unlikely one like a Samuel or a Martin Luther King Jr. Do you know why the world really started paying attention to the AIDS epidemic? Not because of government, not because of churches, but because of an Irish rock star named Bono. That's why. When governments, churches aren't getting the job done, God's not afraid to call someone outside the normal channels to get done what God wants to get done. Isn't that cool? Think about the disciples. You know, Jesus didn't call and work through the religious people of his day the religious powerful people. He didn't go through the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees, the religious elite, the authorities. Jesus didn't work through people in, in high, powerful government positions. No, he worked behind the scenes, subversively. He called tax collectors and fishermen. God will work outside the normal power structures in order to get done what God wants to get done. Friends, God is calling you and us to be a part of something much, much bigger than ourselves. And it's likely that you have some idea of what it might be, even if it's vague in your heart and head. 
Look, none of us are here for our own amusement, right? We're here to get done what God wants to get done. We're here to make our neighborhoods and the city of Ames a little bit better. We're here to make things easier for those who are challenged, a little bit more hospitable and caring for those who are lost or who have been told that they don't belong or can't belong because of who they've been created to be. So the question for us to think long and hard about this morning, questions like these, what are you doing with your life? Does your life, your entire life at home, at work, at school, at play, do you see your entire life as a response to the call of God? Have you listened lately for the call of God? Look, it might not be an audible, audible voice. It might not. It might be like a burning in the heart. It might be an intuition in your soul, in your chest, in your gut, that there's just something you got to do. Maybe you've been hearing God's voice for a while now, but you know, like do something new, try something different, but you've you sort of concluded that you're not ready. That's okay too. Because who's ever really ready for a call from the divine? But the truth of this story, I think, is this God just keeps calling and doesn't give up. Are you listening? So someday, maybe, maybe today, maybe you'll be ready to take that call. Maybe you'll be ready to do your thing. You might change the course of history, or maybe not. But maybe you'll just make the world better, safer, more hospitable, for the people in your circle who just need it. Maybe that's what God's call is for you, for us as a church. As we move to the table, I'm reminded that that we follow the ultimate one who answered God's call. Took him 30 years to get there too. Jesus finally started doing his thing in and around Jerusalem and Galilee when he was 30. But he answered God's call. He answered God's call and then invited other people to follow him in his calling, to point people to this new reality called the kingdom of God, this new way of being in the world that wasn't forceful, powerful, authoritative, and coercive, but was led by selfless love. And then he walked around and showed, showed the people of his day how to do it, which then shows us how to do it, walking around, giving himself away every day of his life, healing people, welcoming people, crossing barriers, challenging authority so that people could have what they need to live full, happy, healthy, flourishing lives. He gave so many people their lives back with his touch and with his teachings. And then in the ultimate display of kingdom love, he died so that the world might live. Communion is a feast. 
of remembrance, communion, and hope. We come to remember. Remember the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. We come in communion because Jesus promised that whenever we gather here together that, that, that he, by his Spirit, would be here, would meet us here. We come in hope, hope that one day all of the pain and sorrow and suffering and everything else that's wrong in this world will be made right again. Let's spend a couple of moments in prayer.